We're going to be in Genesis chapter 24. But I want to go back to Genesis chapter 23 to kind of recap on what it was that we went over and where we're going to now. Genesis chapter 23 was a short chapter, but it was a very hard-hitting chapter. Chapter 23 was in regards to the death of Sarah, who was Abraham's wife. And, and so, looking back at that chapter, Sarah lived to be 127 years old. And what was interesting was is that Sarah was the only woman in the Bible that stated her, her, her age, her, her lifespan. No other woman in the Bible had their, their age or lifespan mentioned. So she was a very influential woman. A very influential, uh, uh, most likely also due to uh, association with her husband Abraham. But at that chapter, it was, it was a very hard-hitting chapter because it was a chapter that actually a lot of people could relate to because what had happened was is Abraham was out and about doing whatever he was doing only to come home and find his wife had passed away. And unfortunately, I have heard numerous stories of, of very similar situations. You wake up one morning, everything's normal as can be, and next you know your life has changed within a matter of seconds, minutes, whatever the case may be. And that's what happened with Abraham. Now granted, they, they lived a long, full life. Abraham was ten years older than Sarah, so... So he was up there, and we're looking at a time now in chapter 24 that Abraham is getting closer to the end of his days. And so what, what we're looking at is, is that Abraham in chapter 24 is going to be seeking a wife for his son Isaac because he knows that his time is up, or coming up, if you will. And so uh, this is probably the, his way of making provisions for his son. Because at the time they were living in Canaan, at this time, they're living in Canaan, and, and Isaac, Isaac is now most likely in his 30s, so if, if Sarah had Isaac at 90 years old, and if she lived to be 127, that would put Isaac at about 37 years of age. So at this point, he had not been married yet. And what we're looking at is like a form of betrothal, kind of, which was very common uh, during this time and during that place. But but Abraham didn't see fit, I guess, to to find somebody in the region of Canaan there because the, there would have been a, uh, a quite an unequal of yoking between a couple. So Abraham decides to find a bride over in his homeland uh, perhaps maybe he was looking at the lesser of two evils. I mean, we look at the land of Ur where Abraham came from, and that was a very polytheistic nation, which was the worship of many gods. But we have to look back a little ways during the time of Noah, because that region was still considered a Semitic region, which was of the line of Shem, who was the, of the blessed of the brothers. See, we've got to remember what had happened with Ham and, and Ham's son, Canaan. Noah had gotten drunk on, on wine that he made for the first time, passed out naked in his tent, and Ham made a mockery of him. And, I'm, and it seems to me like the, the grandson who was Canaan did so as well, because when Noah had awoken, he put a curse on, on Ham's descendants, on Canaan's descendants, and said, Cursed be Canaan and all of his descendants. 
Well, Canaan obviously is where they're at. But where Abraham was from, though he was from the land of Ur and what we know as is Iraq, it was a Semitic region. So Abraham at least had that going for him. It was a, it was a region that was of, of, of a blessed line of Shem versus that of a cursed line of Canaan. So he's going to decide to find a wife in the homeland for his son, for, in the place that he knows. And it was for good reason, again, because of, of the wickedness and, and the extreme paganism of what was Canaan back in this day before it became Israel. And, and so as we, again, we look at how this is, and it might seem a little unorthodox in, in the way of how this is going to be, but this was, very, this was very normal in that day of betrothing. The only thing that was a little abnormal was normally betrothing was done uh, when children were younger, if not uh, very young teen. And it, as I mentioned, Isaac at this point would be in his mid-late 30s. So this was a little unorthodox due to his age. Well, we can look at our day and age, and you know, a lot of people, how they meet people, and uh, you hear about all these dating services on the websites. A lot of people uh, find, find their relationships on uh, modern-day technology and social media. And so a lot of these a lot of these advertised websites, these dating websites, like to uh, uh, boast about most marriages came from our website, uh, from pe- from the matches that were made from our website. But what's interesting is you don't always really see, or or nor do they advertise how these couple couples are holding up, or are they still married? <laughs> we don't normally see that. They don't advertise that part. It never shows that. But when we know that God is the matchmaker, then we see the difference. And that's what we're going to see here is a form of matchmaking by God. Okay, unorthodox in today's standards of cultural outlooks, but again, God was in control and everything works out by God's hand. So if you have a Bible... I'm going to be in Genesis chapter 24, and I'm going to be starting off in verse 1 through 9. Now, real quick, this is going to be a two-fold message. I'm going to have, make a part two out of this, because there is 60-some verses, I believe 66 verses in this. So I'm going to cut this in half, 67 verses. I'm going to cut this one in half, because I'm going to make this a, a two-fold part one and two message. So this is going to be part one of finding a bride for Isaac. Starting in verse 1 through 9, it says, Now Abraham was old, well advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. So Abraham said to the oldest servant of his house, who ruled over all that he had, Please put your hand under my thigh, and I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I dwell. But you shall go to my country and to my family and take a wife for my son Isaac. And the servant said to him, Perhaps the woman will not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I take your son back to the land from which you came? But Abraham said to him, Beware that you do not take my son back there. The Lord God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my family, and who spoke to me and swore to me, saying, To your descendants I give this land. He will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife from my son from there. And if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be released from this oath. Only do not take my son back there. 
So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. So again, Abraham is now looking for the future of Isaac and his lineage to carry on. Now, now putting his hand under his thigh was obviously, again, an ancient cultural practice when swearing on something. Now, you know, our day we shake hands on something or we put something in writing. But he, he wanted to make sure that he had someone from his homeland is what it was. Now, that, that could have been questionable, again, as this area of, of Ur, Mesopotamia, was the practicing nation of polytheism, but which is, again, worship of many gods. But we have to look back in time during the time of Noah, as I mentioned again. That was the reason. And he didn't want the, the, the cultural influences on Isaac and probably knew what they could have done to influence Isaac to walk away from God to be with a cursed race that was not it was not ideal it's like it's like yoking a an ox with a stubborn donkey that wants to go their way or no way at all now if if you again are a regular reader of the bible and if you are familiar with the life of king solomon God had commanded to not multiply wives. King Solomon had 700 wives, 300 concubines. I don't know how anybody could do such a thing, but he did. But all it took, out of those thousand women in his household, all it took was maybe one or two to cause him to go astray. Why was that? Because there was a handful of his wives that were of neighboring nations that worshipped false gods. And what did they do? They caused him to fall away from God, who was the most wealthiest and wisest king of all time. He fell from great height due to the fact that he was unequally yoked. It took one or two, maybe just even one, that caused him to fall. He started worshipping false gods. God warned him that if, if you did such a thing, there would be a heavy consequence. But if you stay with, within, within the course, then the blessings will continue. Well, obviously, Solomon didn't listen to God. God delivered him from the looks of it, but he paid a heavy price. And so Abraham here was preventing that from happening because of uh, cultural influences. But Abraham, he also knew not to take Isaac back there because geography can cause people to become a product of their own surrounding. We look at Abraham's nephew Lot and his family as Lot went to Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, and we have this, this, this was the land of promise from God as it was Canaan. Now it's Israel as we know, but God has always blessed and preserved the nation once it became the nation of Israel. In the ancient practices, as it was common that a wife of the parents choosing was done and vice versa. Okay, so in Abraham's outlook, he just wanted to make sure it was someone from a place that he knew of. But more importantly, Abraham was being directed by God versus doing his own will as he did from time to time in the past. It was always obvious from the results of Abraham's choices of that what was his choice or the guiding hand of God. Abraham was always delivered from a wrong choice, but 
always had a consequence that followed, unfortunately. So as we continue, we're going to look at verse 10 through 14. And it says, Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed. For all his master's goods were in his hand. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia to the city of Nahor. And he made his camels kneel down outside the city by a well of water at evening time, the time when women go out to draw water. And then he said, O Lord God, my master Abraham, please give me success this day and show kindness to my master Abraham. Behold, here I stand by the well of water, and the daughters of the woman of the city are coming out to draw water. Now let it be that the young woman to whom I say, Please let down your pitcher that I may drink, and she says drink, and I will also give your camels a drink, let her be the one you have appointed for your servant Isaac. And by this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master." Abraham's servant is an upfront kind of guy, it looks like. He asked for specifics on the woman here. Now, some may frown upon it. Others would not, uh, most likely because we've done it ourselves. <laughs> Eliezer was not a professional matchmaker. You know, in reality, no human is, as God is the one who unites people. But this was an unusual task, nonetheless. Uh, Eliezer most likely had a great faith in knowing that God could do all that was asked. So he, he went to the right place. Uh, the wells that people would draw the, uh, their water from were on the outer areas of town. And, and it was their main source of water for these uh, villages. So most likely, more than one trip was made each day. Plus, being at the well that most people went to on a daily basis was a place for social activity, I'm sure. So, where conversations were had while being there at the time. And then we also had hospitality standards, as women would be by wells to offer uh, water to the travelers. You know, we look back at Jesus and the gospel. He made a difference in the life of a Samaritan woman when he asked her to draw him some water from the well. They met at a uh, after the, at a well, and after they met, he saved a group of people in her area, which these were were bitter enemies of their Jewish neighbors. Jesus was at the right place at the right time. Ask, he did the same thing. He asked this Samaritan woman for a drink, and she was shocked because. She knew that it wasn't customary for for a Jewish man to be speaking to yet alone a woman, but a Samaritan woman who was a very bitter enemy of the two na- of the two races. And so, once this happened, Jesus was able to expose her life, and she was surprised by his knowledge. And after that, by that, she was able to bring him over to the other people. And a group of people were saved by salvation through Jesus Christ. So what Eliezer was looking for was a woman with a loving heart and a caring demeanor. One who would offer without even hesitation. Uh, most cases of water was given to someone, it wasn't offered to the animals now. So the camels played a big part in this role here. If someone had camels with them, it indicated that someone came on a very long journey. And second, if someone was willing to give camels water that, that didn't belong to them, that, that would take 
we have to remember it takes 20 to 30 gallons that a camel can drink when they're thirsty enough. So there was 10 camels right there on his presence. So this would take hours to give those camels water and to fill them nonetheless. So not a bad thing to look for in a person, an attitude of service. You know, who wouldn't want that? After all, God wants that in all of his people. Unfortunately, people want their greed provided for more than their need provided. But Eliezer, he, he had a great example in Abraham as a man of faith, as well as one who seeked God himself. Looking for the example of a caring woman, okay? The last chapter back, Sarah, his wife, had passed away. And, and again, she was a great woman in the Bible. So there were role models for Eliezer to use. He was just asking God to help him with one to pass the test. Verse 15 to 23. And it happened before he had finished speaking that, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her pitcher on her shoulder. Now the young woman was very beautiful to behold, a virgin no man had known her. And she went down to the well, filled her pitcher, and came up. And the servant ran to meet her and said, Please let me drink a little water from your pitcher. So he said, drink my, she said, drink my lord, and then she quickly let her pitcher down to her hand and gave him a drink. And when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. Then she quickly emptied her pitcher in, into, the throw, into the throw, ran back to the well to draw water, and drew for all the camels. And the man wondering at her remained silent so as to know whether the Lord had made his journey prosperous or not. So it was when the camels had finished drinking that the man took a golden nose ring weighing half a shekel and two bracelets for her wrists weighing ten shekels of gold and said, Whose daughter are you? Tell me, please, is there room in your father's house for us to lodge? So God didn't waste time on the request. You know, we have this young woman named Rebecca who comes to the scene. And it says here that she was beautiful to behold. And, and she was quick to serve him and the camels. And, and she also obtained exterior beauty. So many would say that you, you can't have both attributes in a woman. If she's beautiful, then she must be a conceited person. Which is actually so far from the truth. We cannot speak for every person on earth. But when someone walks with God, we see beauty in all ways from that person. When someone goes out of their way to minister to others, you have found a blessing beyond measure. We can look at the conversation between the twelve apostles. You know, they were all debating amongst themselves who was the greatest amongst them. When Jesus showed up on the scene, they asked him, who is it going to be? Well, his response was, the greatest in the kingdom will be the servant of all. And it, see, it's always been pleasing. It's always been a pleasing thing for God to see the servant heart and, and, and amongst the people. When he asked God for those attributes, he asked for, for the wisest thing anyone could ask. You know, and I've always shook my head when I hear people say that, oh, they prayed for a wife of supermodel looks and, and uh, you know, other things that are regarding vanity. You know, Re Rebecca was the true model, okay? First of her loving spirit, because the three thing, the three worst things people can develop is the attribute of me, myself, and I, 
which is the trinity of darkness within mankind. And by observing her actions, his, his actions came into play. When he found out who her father was, he gave the gifts. The nose ring, which was again a cultural thing. Uh, nothing out of the ordinary in the ancient East. But the only thing out of the ordinary was Rebecca. And I mean that in the highest of esteem. Uh, the ordinary would have passed by the man and all those camels and possibly have even avoided him. But if we, if we take a look at what would be ordinary or typical in people, what would we say or think anymore? See, it's scary nowadays to label what typical or ordinary people are today. See, God calls us to be out of the ordinary and, and being a servant in truth, which is that of a positive accomplishment. Now, I know I've said this before, but because of the world's vanity, I mean, any of us would want to drive a shiny Lamborghini over a pickup truck. But if there's something I've learned... The, the, the Lamborghini, as beautiful as it is, does not have a long lifespan. It doesn't go very far. might go fast, but it doesn't go far. And over the years, I've driven cars that have had problems. I would much rather have a car that's going to last. And the same thing goes for, for, uh, for a wife. <laughs> okay? I've been blessed and I'm going on 21 years of marriage. As of we speak here, it's going to be 21 years coming up in April. We are now in January of 2017. I can't tell you how blessed I am. But in today's society, how do we see how do we see the truth of the matter? Do we see the exterior vanity? Versus the, the interior found, foundation of, of, of a heart and a, and a spirit. But leave it to God to kind of up the ante, if you will, on all things. He not just, he not just brings a, a, a woman who was just such a wonderful spirit. Yeah, she was beautiful on top of it. God raises the bar above our expectations. But I've always chuckled and I've always shook my head because I've heard people sit there and pray to God and say, "I want a hot wife. I want a, I want a, I want a husband that looks like this, Lord, and I want this and that and the other thing." And the, the, the Lord is gracious enough to give us, to give us the majority of what we want. But sometimes we need to be careful what we ask for. God again knows what's best for us, and God knew what was best for Isaac. God answered the prayers of Eliezer. Let's take a look here. Verse 24 through 33. So, she said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, Milcah's son, whom she bore to Nahor. Moreover, she said to him, We have both straw and feed enough in room to lodge. Then the man bowed down his head and worshipped the Lord. And he said, Blessed be the Lord, of, the Lord God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his mercy and his truth toward my master. As for me being on the way, the Lord led me to the house of my master's brethren. So the young woman ran, told her mother's household these things. Now Rebekah had a brother whose name was Laban, and Laban ran out to the man by the well. 
So it came to pass when he saw the nose ring and the bracelets on his sister's wrists, and when he heard the words of his sister Rebekah saying, Thus the man spoke to me, that he went to the man, and, and where there he stood by the camels at the well. And he said, Come in, blessed, uh, O blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside? For I have prepared the house and a place for the camels. And the man came to the house, and he unloaded the camels, and provided straw and feed for the camels, and water to wash his feet, and the feet of the men who were with him. Food was set before him to eat, but he said, I will not eat anything until I have told about my errand. And said, and he said, Speak on. Rebecca's brother Laban kind of did what well what many people probably would have uh what i mean by that is to go out of the he went out of his way because he'd seen the importance or the wealth as his sister showed up with gold jewelry on her and and then on top of it seeing all the camels and servants which would signify someone coming in in a in our day and age it would see somebody pulling up on a stretch limo or two or or flying in on a private jet so the the different story was from his sister though you know, little did she know that she was in God's plan that day. Rebecca was available in service, just like the servant of Abraham. One of the greatest things in people's lives is saying, Yes, God, here I am, when he calls us. You know, Abraham was a perfect example as well, as many others will see, as many others we will see as well, that did just that. Yes, God, here I am. You know, some people are initiators, of course. But in both senses of good and bad. But I'm looking at the good here. The initiator of good. And like I said earlier, it was common to give someone a drink when asked. But it was never common to do so for their animals. Yet alone ten camels that can drink twenty some gallons per camel. Eliezer's prayer was answered and not just answered, but it was beyond expectation. But what he did was was praise God. First, because he knew his prayer was answered, and then he gave thanks to God for his guidance and good, for his guidance and his goodness. Walking with God always lands you in the right spot at His time. You know, some may hear that and say, "Well, it didn't work for me, therefore I don't follow God." I've heard that before. Well, I guess the question is: Is what was the motive? Second, what was the relationship with God? Was it a true one? I mean, after all, people can figure out if, if they're in it for their, for true reasons or not. But God can't be fooled and knows all, He knows all things hidden. You know, he, he will never bless a false relationship between people. And a false relationship with Him is just non-existent. Eliezer obviously walked close with God enough and spoke often to him in prayer. And, and if I may say the same, blessings came to many others. But if we don't always get what we ask for, he knows why. And that should be good enough. Because we forget that at times he's preventing us, he's preventing something that may harm us down the line. And there's only one way to become a part of him. And that's through the prayer of salvation and accepting Christ as Lord and Savior. Which is again his words, not mine. See, all I am is, all I am is like the waiter who serves you. I'm not the chef who created the recipe. 
But though I think the most important thing that I can see from what I was reminded of, of all of these people so far that walked so close with God, was that their relationship with God wasn't due to what God could strictly just do for them. They had a true love for, with God. It wasn't based on, on what he could give them in the form of material. It wasn't in the form of, what am I going to get out of it? It was, it was basically in true love, which is what, what we would want in our, own, in our own spouse, right? Yeah, God wants the same thing from us. He gives us things beyond our imagination, man. But I tell you, if we can come to Him without even wanting anything or expecting anything, how much sweeter is that? Well, again... There's nothing, there's no gift that is greater than that of salvation. And there's one way to receive it, and that is through, that is through a simple prayer. A prayer of receiving and repentance. You know, God, God works in all of us, and He works in us in different ways. No, we're not gonna, we're not always like Abraham, nor are we gonna be like Abraham. But God blesses us individually in how He sees fit. But the greatest thing of all, again, is not what we're going to be receiving here on earth. The greatest thing of all and the most important thing of all is our eternal existence with Him. Whatever comes and goes here is a flash in the pan. So I want to invite you, if you feel led, and if you want to receive Him, then you can say this simple prayer with me. Dear God, please forgive me, Lord. Please forgive me of all of my sins. I confess to you, Lord, that I am a sinner. And I ask, Lord, that you would wash me clean of my sins, Lord. And Lord, I thank you, Lord, for having me, Father. And Lord, I receive you in my heart as Lord and Savior. And Father, I pray, Lord, that you will have me in eternity, Lord, as one of your children. As I receive you as my Father. I thank you for sending your son to die on the cross for my sins. And Lord, I thank you. I love you. I receive you now. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. Well, may God bless and keep you always. And may everything, may everything come into, into, into your existence from him. And may you seek him in all things. And remember the greatest gift of that of salvation, for our time here on earth is short. So may God keep you and your families always. God bless you.